Hi, we're Adam and Tanya in Kendra Lake. We've been going to Centennial Road for about 15 years, roughly. Uh, we're here today to talk about our adoption story. So, when we first got married, we obviously tried the natural way, and the doctor said it wasn't possible. Um, so I'd say about seven years into our marriage is when we finally said, okay, let's, let's look into adoption. And then we got looking into the cost, and uh, private adoption was just too expensive. So we went through domestic adoption, which is CAS. They stopped working with families outside their jurisdiction because we were working in Cornwall. So they immediately closed our file. By the end of our journey with CAS, we had already started thinking about switching to private adoption because uh, we knew we wanted more of the infant than an older child. Um, and we had already started some fundraising and whatnot, so it was, yeah, probably four years into our adoption journey with CAS that we switched over to, to fundraising for private adoption. So now, I don't think it really caused any strains with us, but uh, yeah, we're in the same boat. I think it actually made us grow closer together um, because we it was either lean on us and God or or it, it would affect us so it, you know a lot of times infertility does um, break a, a relationship so we we had that discussion you know we can't we can't let it break us because we have to be able to accept the fact that if it's just going to guess then are we okay with that so yeah, we, we had to have that heart to heart, but yeah, we made the decision to focus on God and us. And then. For me, when Cornwall closed our file, I lost all faith. I, sorry, I, uh, I thought God had abandoned us. But then, um, I finally realized God kind of gave me that slap on the back of my hand. Um, that it wasn't him that had failed us. It was the system, um, and my faith was rooted in our circumstances, not in him. So when I finally said, okay, God, my faith has to be rooted in you, is when I finally said, okay, this, it's, it's yours. We, we have no other way to do this, but it's God's. It, uh, yeah, when, when Cornwall, for me as well, Closed the door. It um, it was very hard. But then I looked at when at that point as well. We were starting to raise the money for private adoption, and our intake took awfully crazy. Tripled our yearly intake for scrap cars and scrap metal in in general. And I knew that God was opening up this door for us. So when we found out about her, it took about two weeks before we found out that we were chosen. Um, and sorry, I'm gonna cry again. Um, when we got that phone call, I couldn't breathe. I had to actually hold on to the counter to hold me up because I couldn't breathe. Adam was jumping up and down like I'm surprised nothing fell off of the off of the walls. And as soon as we hung up the phone, we praised God because it was it was Him. Um, everything, everything about her whole situation was God. We had to wait two weeks before we brought her home. 
faith in God doesn't mean he's not going to answer you, but we have to have faith in his timing too. So we waited 16 years for her. And those 16 years are gone the instant we met her. So yeah, faith in God also means faith in his timing. Don't give up on dreams. Or prayers. Don't give up on prayers. Uh, keep praying. If it's the Lord's will, as, as she is for us, he'll, he'll, he'll fulfill your dreams. He'll, he'll make the unbelievable true. He'll, he'll carry you through. The instant I first seen her picture, it, it, it was good. Everything was good. Everything was well. The wait was well worth it. Right on. Isn't it amazing that we serve a God that still answers prayer and still works miracles? And we are so thankful and grateful that we have the opportunity to journey together with the Lake family, all three of them, Adam and Tanya and even little Kendra and the gift that she is. Welcome. If you're here in person or online, we're so glad that you're tuning in today. We're going to start here. I want you to think through words that were wise that were given to you to live by by somebody. So wise words, what are they? If you're online, you can write your answers in the chat, or if you're here in person, start yelling them out at me right now. Wise words you were given to live by, what are they? Do all the things you can. Do all the good you can. What else? All right. Wisdom. Happy wife, happy life. One day at a time. How about anything else? Release the children. Hey, age three to grade three, we've got something for you out in the boulevard right now as well as nursery. If you are under age three, zero to age three, we have got nursery care for this service right now. We would love to invite you to participate in that. Thank you kids for being here. You bring a lot of energy and fun and joy and yes, chaos into our world, but we love all of it. And if you're watching online, kids, I want you to go to centennialroad.com right now and you can watch kids ministry content just for you. Wise words to live by. I remember this phrase that I was given about five or six years old and still now heading into my fourth decade on this planet, I still am living by. Don't eat yellow snow. <laughs> Wise words to live by. Because when you get that fresh snowfall and it's just lovely and glittering everywhere, you want to scoop up a little piece of that and be like, mmm, tasty snow. But if there's any sort of additive in there, you're going to be in for a surprise that you haven't prepared for. Don't eat yellow snow. The truth is about wisdom, it might be seemingly in short supply in our world today. What does it mean to be wise? Why does wisdom matter? All of those good things. Wisdom is living skillfully. Wisdom is living skillfully. 
We're going to look at another short story that Jesus told, one of 35 that he told. This story is all about wisdom. These 35 stories are, connect, are collected in the Bible. They're contained right there in three books, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And in this series, Short Stories, we've only been looking at the short stories or the parables that Jesus told from the book of Matthew. So if you've enjoyed this series and you're like, I want to learn more from Jesus in the form of story, I want to encourage you to dive into the stories that he told in Mark and in Luke and learn a little bit more about what Jesus has to say about life, about love, and so many other things. We're going to be diving into this story, Matthew chapter 24. If you've got a Bible with you, I want to encourage you to turn there with me. I'll be reading in verse 42 all the way through verse 51, which is the conclusion of that chapter. But what's unique about this short story, unlike some of the others that we've studied thus far in our series, is this comes at the tail end of a longer conversation that he's having with his closest friends and confidants called the Disciples. This long conversation is all about the future. Now, here's the thing about the future. When you and I talk about or plan for the future, for us, the future is always in motion. It's always unknown. We don't know what to expect, what it's going to be like entirely. We make our best guesses, and we plan towards that. It's always in motion. Yet for Jesus, when he talks about the future, it is absolutely certain. He is the inventor of time. And he's the person that knows what is to come. And so he's giving his his disciples kind of insider info on what's about to happen and what to get prepared for so that they are ready for what is to come. Let's pick it up in verse 42 of Matthew chapter 24. So you too must keep watch, for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Understand this, if a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready all the time, for the Son of Man will come when least expected. A faithful, sensible servant is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge of all he owns. But what if the servant is evil and thinks, my master won't be back for a while, and he begins beating the other servants, partying, and getting drunk? The master will return unannounced and unexpected, and he will cut the servant to pieces and assign him to a place with the hypocrites. In that place, There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Lots to say about wisdom. There's five things that I want to point out to you from this story that speak to wisdom that I believe if we would put into practice starting right now and growing in that, that we would grow and be known for our wisdom because wisdom is both a gift and a pursuit. The first is this, honest. Honest. Are you and I honest in everything that we do? It's tax season. Are you tempted to claim something for your taxes that you can't really claim? What about this? Have you ever had this scenario kind of present itself to you? Somebody comes up to you and says, hey, does this outfit make me look fat? Are you honest in that situation? Do you run from that situation? You should run from that situation. Are you honest in all of your exchanges? 
Now, here's the thing. In this story, we get 100% transparency and honesty from Jesus. He leaves nothing to your imagination. He tells you exactly what is to happen at the end of our world. He says, you know, there's going to be this faithful servant. There's going to be this wicked servant. You're either going to be one of those two. God's either going to find you faithful or he's going to find you less than faithful. There's no in-between. There's no misconceptions. It's straight up honest and real. It made me think, how many times in my life do I stray away from honesty for the sake of relationship? I don't want to be honest because I don't want that relationship to be hindered in any way. I don't want it to be threatened in any way. I don't want to lose it, so I can't be honest. I can't tell people what I really think. The thing about honesty is we can either tell somebody the truth for their betterment, or we can keep putting up the facade that we live in, the less than awesome, the less than normal. The strongest relationships are the ones that are able to handle truth spoken into them in love because they recognize that the truth being spoken is from a place of love, not a place of condemnation or frustration. Jesus was wanting his friends to know, are you ready? Because this is what it's going to look like. Are you ready? Are you ready for what's about to happen? If we want to be wise, we have to be honest with ourselves and with those around us in a skillful way, because that's wise. Let's look into point number two. Point number two is trustworthy. Trustworthy. Now, trustworthy is a big, fancy word. What does that mean? Well, let's kind of narrow it down for us. It's all about protection and provision. Protection and provision. In this story, Jesus talks about these two servants, and they're given the same responsibility— to protect the servants, the other household servants, and provide for them. One does that, one doesn't. One, therefore, is trustworthy, the other is not. A couple of weeks ago, I was cruising around on social media and on Instagram, I saw this little fun video of this young toddler girl and her dad. And this girl was stuck in a bumbo. If you don't know what a bumbo is, it's a, it's a seat especially made for chubby children. You put them in there with their legs and they can't get out. It's a wonderful thing we used it to great perfection in our, in our household when our kids were younger. You can put them in there and they stay put. It's, it's beautiful. Anyway, his, her dad gave her a hash brown from McDonald's with these following instructions. And she was two, maybe three at most. If you don't eat this until I come back, I'll give you a hundred. Now, what was amazing about this video is toddlers don't have the ability to have an inner dialogue when they don't use their mouth. Their inner dialogue is their outer dialogue. Not like us. We have these narratives playing on in our minds and we're not always speaking them out. Toddlers don't have that ability yet. And so over the next 10 to 15 seconds, you hear this little girl giving herself a pep talk. If I don't eat, I get 100. Don't eat. Daddy, 100. Like a variety of words like that. And she's staring enthusiastically at her hash brown. What probably seemed like an eternity for her passes and her dad zips back into the video and sees that she didn't give or she didn't eat that hash brown. So he gives her a crisp $100 U.S. bill. It's like 150 bucks Canadian. It's amazing. 
And she's so excited. And then he says, you can eat it. And she takes a big bite. And you know what she does next? She gives a bite to her dad. Sometimes the gift that we've been given, we need to learn to protect, but we also need to learn out of that protection to provide for those around us. Think back to these two servants. You've got this faithful, sensible servant. That's what the Bible tells us. Faithful, sensible servant. Making sure that all the other household servants have a place of safety, have a place where they feel loved and cared for and heard, have a place where they feel nourished, literally feeding them what they need to be sustained. That's a great environment to thrive and to grow up in. That second servant... That second servant is not trustworthy. That second servant is like, you know what? This power and authority that I've been given, I'm going to use it for my benefit. I am going to beat all of my household servants. I'm going to party like there's no tomorrow, and then I'm going to get blazing drunk. All about being selfish, self-focused, completely enamored with his self or herself, not thinking or giving a rip about anybody around them. Now, if we're honest, there are times that you and I oscillate between those two, where it's all about me, me first culture. It's all about me. Let me get mine. And when we can actually be trustworthy. But if we want to be wise, we have to be trustworthy because only fools live for themselves. Point number three, diligent. Diligent. I had the awesome privilege as a high school kid to go on a missions experience with myself and my peers, and my dad was invited to be one of our adult leaders for two reasons. Number one, he was willing to put himself into a 15-passenger van with a bunch of teenagers heading across the country, so he was a little bit crazy. And number two, he was masterful and still is at doing anything construction-related. He's a millwright by trade. This guy can invent stuff. He can create stuff out of thin air, so to speak. We are night and day different, he and I. I'm really good at breaking things. My dad is really good at fixing things. It's a wonderful mixture. And I remember this great experience for so many reasons, but that first day we rolled up onto the job site doing some light construction. My dad pulled us aside, and being a man of few words, he said this. He said, I want you to be diligent in your work today. One of my buddies was like, uh, Mr. Frizzell, what does diligent mean? And my dad elaborated. He said this, work on whatever you're doing as if it were yours. Work on whatever you're doing as if it were yours, whether that's painting, fence repair, cleaning. Work on whatever you were doing as if it were yours. Be diligent. See, being diligent and its connection to wisdom is all about the quality of what we invest ourselves in. You and I have the same gift, believe it or not. It's called the gift of life. Are we putting in the quality to our lives that our gift demands? Are we investing our best? Are we working for it as if it were ours? Because the truth is about this thing called life, it's actually not ours. It's God's. It's God's gift to us. We are a steward of this gift. We are a servant 
to what God wants to happen in our world around us, not in a controlling, fabricated way. He lovingly invites us to use this gift however we want to do. Are we putting it to its best use? Are we investing our lives wisely? Point number four, reliable. Reliable. You might be thinking, well, reliable sounds a lot like diligent, sounds a lot like trustworthy. Isn't it just the same thing? The point about being reliable that I want to focus on and emphasize is follow through. What we don't know is the backstory to this short story. We don't know if the master of these two servants gave them the same set of instructions. We can assume and presume that he did because they were evaluated by the same standard. Did you do what I asked you to do? Were you faithful and were you sensible? Now, I can replay in my brain a variety of different times when I found myself in an environment where I've been given a similar responsibility or the exact same responsibility as somebody else. Usually, there was a verbal response or cue in that setting where I was willing to take on that responsibility. Jason, are you going to do this? Yeah, I'll get it done. Your words mean nothing if they don't follow quickly up with your actions. You got a faithful, sensible servant who accepts this responsibility to be in charge of all the household servants and provide for them and does exactly that. The wicked servant doesn't. Embraces that completely selfish type of lifestyle. Uses their power to abuse those around them. If you've ever been in an environment like that where you've been abused by somebody overusing their authority, that is not God's will and intent for the life in which we live. If you've ever been that abuser of authority, that is not God's intention or will for the way that you live. Power is a gift. Life is a gift. How are you using your platform and your opportunity? Are you reliable? Are you following through with what you said will be done? Are you putting your faith into practice? Number five, genuine. Genuine. Here's the thing. Plastic plants suck. They're useless. They look pretty for a while, but then they collect a whole bunch of dust. You can't do anything with them. They go out of fashion really, really quickly because if you buy them in a certain decade, five, ten, five, ten years, 15 years passes, they don't look like what you could buy and what's available right now in that decade. They don't last forever from a trendy perspective, and you can't multiply them. Have you ever tried to transplant a a fake plant? It doesn't work because it's not alive. Here's the thing about being genuine. We want what's real. We want the real deal. We don't want the fake thing. If I offered you the difference between a placebo and something that was true, what would you take? If you were suffering from a debilitating disease and you knew there was a cure out there and you were a part of a testing group, but you knew in that testing group some people would be offered the cure and some people would be offered the placebo, what was fake, which one do you want to be? You want to be the real person. I want the real thing. I don't want fake. That's the way God looks at us. He wants what's real. He wants us. He wants us to be honest and genuine. He doesn't want the fake version of us. He doesn't want us walking around going like, hey, everything's all good, and you're broken and falling apart inside. 
He doesn't want you to pretend. He wants you to be real, genuine, because then he can multiply you. You can't multiply anything that doesn't have life. Is there life inside of you? Is that life worth multiplying? If it's true that wisdom in our world is in short supply, the cool opportunity is you and I get to change that narrative by the way we choose to live skillfully along the way. We can choose to be honest and trustworthy and diligent and reliable and genuine to the best of our ability. And if I'm being fully transparent with you, I probably in this last week did about five minutes of that on my own. Because when I try and do that kind of life on my own, I fail and I fail and I fail and I fail because I don't have it in me outside of the power of Jesus. Because here's the cool thing. When Jesus is working in us, through us, and around us, oh, that's when things take shape. That's where we can live into all that he has in mind for us. That's where we can embrace honesty and be trustworthy and be diligent and reliable and genuine at all times. It's only because of what he gives to us. I can't do it on my own. can't do it on my own. These words to the wise, they come from Jesus, who is the giver of life. You want to be wise? Be connected with Jesus and let him grow in you honesty, and trustworthiness, and diligence, and reliability and the real deal, something that's genuine. Because when he does, that's when our world will change. That's when you will change. And we all will benefit from that God-initiated, God-immersed change. So my question to you is similar to the question that Jesus asked his friends in and through this short story. Are you ready? Are you ready for what God wants to do? Are you ready? We get a wonderful privilege through the practice of communion to be reminded of all of God's goodness in life. So for those of you joining us online, find a carb of some sort and some sort of liquid so you can participate in this experience with us. For those of you here in person, those communion elements that you would have picked up on your way in, it's time to get those ready. And the cool thing about Jesus is this invitation and this gift that he offers to you is always available. The first time that he instituted communion, he was connected at a dinner party with his friends. And sometime during the meal, he picked up bread and he broke that bread. He passed it around. He said, eat it in remembrance of me. That bread is a symbol of the body of Christ 
that was broken, beaten, and bruised for you, if you do not have a relationship with Jesus, if you have been trying to figure out what it means to live wisely, I'm telling you the truth. The only way that you will fully understand wisdom is rooted in Jesus, in a friendship with him, in a personal relationship and connection. As we celebrate communion today, may we be reminded that the body of Jesus was broken, bruised, and battered for you. Let's eat together. During that same meal, a little while later, he took a cup of wine, passed it out, and he talked about the new covenant that was going to be written in his blood He told his friends to drink in remembrance of him. It's because of the willingness of Jesus to offer his life up for you and I that we have an opportunity to even pursue wisdom. It's a gift that he's given. So as we drink today, may we be reminded that the blood shed by Christ for you and I grants us life. Let's receive and remember today. Would you join me in a time of prayer? Father, I'm so grateful that we have the opportunity to call you dad. God, and I recognize that that's a loaded word for so many of us because for some of us, our dad used, our earthly dad might have used his authority incorrectly. He might have held us down instead of lifting us up. But for others of us, we have a completely, entirely different picture of that word, dad. We had an earthly dad that lifted us up, that fueled us, that cheered us on. Lord, you, you function as that father role in our lives, just like that faithful and sensible servant from this story that we studied today. You are there to provide for us, even when we don't understand your timing, even when it means we've got to wait 16 years. You're the one who leads us forward when it's dark and we can't find our way. You're the one that bandages our wounds and heals us when we've been hurt or felt forgotten or abandoned. You are ever-present in every sort of trouble that we will face right now and in the future. And you will heal the wounds of our past if we would just cry out to you. So God, I confess my desperation and my need for you. I need you in every facet of my life. I need you in ho- at home. I need you at work. I need you when I'm out having fun. I need you because without you, there is no wisdom. Father, I know that you invite us, for those of us who are followers of you to choose intentionally the way in which we should live. And God, I pray, I pray a blessing over anyone that is connected right now with us, whether that's here in person or tuning in online, live or at a later time. God, I pray that you would call us and invite us to be a wise people so that the wisdom that oozes out of us would be a source of hope and inspiration to people who do not yet know you or who have a challenging history with you. 
particularly challenging because people who said that they loved you treated them with anything but love. God, we don't want to be that people. We want to be a wise people. Be a people that is known for the way that we love you and love other people. We need you because without you, it doesn't work. So may you, Father, become more in our lives and may we become less. May you become more and more and more and more so that your name, which is powerful, which is rich, which has the ability to save, would be the name that is known in our region, in our country, and in our and in our world because there is no other name that can lead us forward Jesus we need you may you bless us and protect us may you make your face shine upon us be gracious to us may you turn your face towards us and give us your peace we want to be wise pray this in your name.